good smack, good smack. <clears throat> smack that in Evan's basement. Mm. For the record, that was Jacob clapping Evan's ass just now. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! They, they Mark, can't. Mark, they... Mark's back for two seconds. He's like, Jacob's clapping Evan's cheeks. <laughs> Mark, it's they bad. can't prove it. They can't prove it to happen. <laughs> I am currently ripping off Mark's head with a chainsaw. <laughs> the funny part is nobody knows about the claps because I don't put them into the edits. Oh. So. <laughs> True. I mean, obviously not. <laughs> I was wondering how we would get derailed. Just, <laughs> right off the bat. He didn't even need to say anything. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Gems of History podcast. I am your host, Jacob Schaaf. And, of course, we have Mark Steinbrenner back. I'm back with the joke. <laughs> we have Evan Roosh, whose ass I guess I am currently clapping. I promise, that <laughs> <laughs> I promise to everyone that I'm safe and sound. <laughs> uh, Ouch. Well, Mark, how are you doing today? I am feeling very good. Happy. Good. Yeah, very, very delighted. I think you've put everyone here in a pretty delightful mood. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting that to be the intro, but... <laughs> Yikes, dude. <laughs> Probably good, though, because I didn't have anything planned for the intro, so oh, yeah. <laughs> that oh, works God. itself out. Oh, that was great. That Evan, was how great. are you? <laughs> Again, Tabaro, I'm, I'm doing just fine. Just, yeah. My butt is completely safe. <laughs> A little I was, red, though. <laughs> yeah, a little. Oh. I was pretty tired when I walked into this basement. Yeah. <laughs> that definitely woke me up a yeah, little bit. Now we're back. Now we're back. <laughs> Just getting the holiday spirit. Oh, yeah. Staring at Evan's Christmas tree with the star stuffed in the middle because yeah, it can't fit on top. It's what, yeah. I, it's what I call the Iron Man tree. So <laughs> When we first moved in here uh, four years ago, my mother, who's absolute saint, she got me this Christmas tree. This I believe it's like six feet. Um, doesn't fit anywhere. <laughs> I have a very, like I live in a condo and, uh, doesn't fit upstairs. Doesn't, uh, so instead of dragging it all the way upstairs when I finished the basement, I thought I would just put it in the basement and lo and behold, it barely <laughs> squeezes in to, uh, fit in the basement. It's very Christmas vacation. Just stuff it in. Oh, it's <laughs> so Christmas vacation. Actually, I think it's like, what do you say? That's eight feet, seven feet? I was going to say it's much taller than six feet. I'd say right. that's probably eight feet. Eight feet. Yeah. So can you be- guys listening? Can you see? Can you tell? Yeah. Eight do you want to, anyone six? else have any other opinions? <laughs> but, uh, because it's so, and by the way, just a quick side tangent, I despise setting up the Christmas tree. Like, I love Christmas tree, but when I get done setting up that thing, it literally just looks like I got, like, I just had road rash or something, <laughs> like, on my arms. But anyway, so instead of the star being on top, the star is firmly located in the center of the tree. So it's my Iron Man tree. It's beautiful. I'll share some pictures on our social media. So you can find us on Twitter at gems underscore history and on Instagram at gems of history podcast with a underscore underneath each place where there should be a space plugs at the beginning i like it mm-hmm. oh and on tiktok at gems of history pod 
look, I did, everyone's doing their Spotify wraps right now for their year-end reviews or whatever, and I actually have the option to look at ours for the podcast, so I looked <gasps> at it this morning, and we have 14 people that we are the most listened to podcast for, so that's pretty cool. Oh, it is pretty cool. So that's me, I'll share it on our social medias. I will indeed. At Gems of History. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Run them back. Run them back. Ah, uh, well, special thank you to everyone. Yes, it's, I mean, we're not completely through a full year of doing this, but we're pretty dang close, and we really appreciate everyone that's listened so far and everyone that's shared some kind words with us about how they enjoy the podcast, so, because as we, as we say, it's just a hobby that we started for fun, so the fact that people listen and enjoy it is just a cool bonus that we get out of it, too. So. Mm-hmm. But anyways, I think we've got some pretty fun stuff to talk about today. The Hex Girls? Yes, we're only going to be talking about the Hex <laughs> Solely Girls. Solely about the Hex Girls. To get in the holiday spirit. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's December 2nd, so like, or no, this will be released on, like, what, the 6th? It'll be like, and we're going to start off with murder. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. So today, uh, we're going to talk about the Salem Witch Trials. So, Hex Girls will be brought up, I'm sure, more than one time. And the other fun stuff and other not so fun stuff. So, but I'm pretty excited because I found out a lot of stuff that I never knew about this. Because I feel like everyone kind of knows the word Salem witch trials, but I never really understood like the whole thing behind it. Mm-hmm. Like so much went into it. It's honestly just a common phrase. Oh, it's a witch hunt. Oh, it's the Salem witch trials. Just kind of common phrase. But so much was going on in the background. To force this to happen i guess maybe not force because people were kind of dicks but kind of is an <laughs> understatement <laughs> yeah but uh yeah it's super excited to dive into this one and i'll try not to bring up the hex girls at every hey we're gonna probably moment. need some like comedic <clears throat> input at some points during this because it's gonna get a little dark really but... i thought this whole thing was pretty funny <laughs> <laughs> mark's just over here giggling and he's yeah. just reading about all this stuff he's too. just slapping his knees constantly <laughs> Until I get to the end, it's is based on a true story. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was fiction the whole time. Yeah, yeah. This actually happened? <laughs> so before we get into it, uh, some of my sources that I used were a channel on YouTube called Thoughty2, spelled like thoughts, not like a girl that's a hoe. Like, Over there. <laughs> uh, History.com. I went back to r slash historians on Reddit, and then I found a cool... A PDF file of a section of a book, and the article part of the book was titled Mysteries, Memories, and Metaphors The Salem Witchcraft Trials in the American Imagination by Gretchen A. Adams, which was pretty cool. It was written, I think, in 2003, so it's a little dated now, but it still had a lot of cool stuff in there. And then historyofmassachusetts.org. Yep, I had those same ones, including the history of Massachusetts, two episodes in a row where I, I know that I... state. Uh, as well as, excuse me, I'm trying to find the book. Um, also, a book called A Story of Witchcraft by Professor Emerson W. Baker. I have a couple of excerpts from, from him. Read a book. Oh, I did not read the book. <laughs> <laughs> he buddy, that buddy, really buddy, buddy. I was like, that was quick. The shock on your face was... <laughs> Right, right, rightfully so. A little disrespectful. <laughs> a little disrespectful. <laughs> My feelings are hurt. It's okay. First, first, oh gosh, we got reputable sources. Whether we read them all or not, <laughs> yeah, right. Hopefully, we're just not taking shit out of context and making yeah. it sound like way worse. But 
Mark, did you have uh, any special ones that you Yeah, used? I completely blacked out what you guys were saying while I was looking mine up, so I don't know That's if you okay. have the same ones. But I had um, the <laughs> the oop. Ooplog? Was it Ooplog? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I saw that one. Hoopla. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Talk about a lot of hoopla. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, two history.com articles, a Britannica.com uh, article, and that, I don't know who gets credit for it, but I also watched that YouTube video you had put out. Okay. Yeah, the Thoughty 2. <laughs> Thoughty 2, shout out. He's got a really scared. cool channel, yeah, I know, it kind of scared me. I, he, like... It's funny because I watched one of his like earlier videos and he talks really slow. Uh, so one of the comments was like, "If you put this on one point two five times speed, it sounds like he's talking normally." Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "All right," but his newer stuff's like really good. He does a lot of gr- good graphics and stuff. So, oh, very cool. But anyways, the Salem witch trials in early sixteen ninety two in the small colonial town of Salem, Massachusetts. Two girls suffered from unexplained fits and contorted their bodies in unnatural ways. In a search for answers, the town took a physician's word when he suggested that the, that the cause was witchcraft. From there, the madness of the town took on a life of its own, and by the end, over 100 people would be arrested, over 20 would be dead, and the town would be in search of a place to put the blame for their communal misdeeds. Almost everybody knows the name of Salem, but the intricate social and political contexts that led to the trials are pretty complicated. And the question that was more important to me personally was, why are these trials still so important today? Witchcraft trials were going on for centuries at this point, so what makes these specific ones so important? And that was what I was basically aimed at finding out when I started the research. Probably the first time men didn't want women contorting their bodies in unnatural ways, <laughs> am I right? It's like the first time someone even attempted to twerk. They're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, 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 no witchcraft. No, no, no. Yeah. It's like, oh, look at that. I happen to have a rope in my pocket while we're here. <laughs> There's like a little drummer boy in the back, like hitting a snare beat. Yeah. <laughs> trying to get on the wall and twerk. <laughs> so, yeah, that my main goal with this was more so aimed at figuring out why these have endured for so long of course we are going to go through the story and we aren't going to go as much into the beginnings of witchcraft over in europe and stuff we did a separate episode that you can go back and listen to if you want to know more about that and we cover the malleus maleficarum or the the witch hunting manual and stuff like that in that episode and go into a lot more of the lead up to salem basically so that was a while ago holy cow yeah that was probably like episode maybe before even episode 20. So yeah, go back and listen to that if you want to know more, because that was also a, a really fascinating episode. Mm-hmm. Also a very dark episode once it got towards the end. So Who'd have thunk that uh, hunting people and saying that they were witches would be dark? Yeah, who would have? Who'd have thunk? <laughs> but anyways, so let's get into how the trials sort of came about. What was le- What was the lead up to this? And to understand the trials in Salem, it's Pretty important to understand the context of what the atmosphere was in Salem leading up to the trials. And I want to mention kind of up top that Salem as a whole was separated into two separate areas. One was the village that was a few kilometers outside of the actual town of Salem. And both of them had kind of different structures. One was more of like a poor economic settlement and that was the village area. And then the town was more of like the commerce and economy of that area. But Salem as a whole was established in 1626, and a lot of the people that lived in the area were still relatively recent arrivals from England. 
And the major reason why many of these people had come to America to settle was to seek religious asylum. And the religion that they formed after they got that asylum was the Puritan religion. And it was pretty popular in the, col- in the new colonies, but it was also v- quite strict and would punish children specifically quite harshly for as little as cursing your parents. Like I read somewhere that cursing your parents was almost a capital crime. Like that's mm-hmm. how strict they were. Yeah, and, like, if you weren't a member of the Puritan church or, like, the local church body, you were basically exiled Yeah, in the New World. So, I mean, there's a lot of theocratical, I don't know if that's a word, pressure on civilians to basically believe in this Puritan sect of Christianity or, you know, you can go get eaten by a wild bear. And it's, you think about how hypocritical that is, too, that they left their home country to find religious freedom, and then once they found it, they... Created another atmosphere where people aren't welcome. So, right. So, Maybe even worse, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> seriously. So, as Evan just mentioned, the new settlement had their religious freedom, but some people also found quite a scary place to live in Salem. And not just the fact that people were being exiled, but geographically, the town and village of Salem were surrounded by the ocean on one side, and the rest of the surrounding area was pretty much a dense wilderness. So, there wasn't much law at the time in this area, and it was still a uh, charter town being ruled remotely by the British. And if you don't know what a charter town is, it's basically this, these people get permission from the British government to settle this land. And then in return, they get protection from the British government. If something were to happen and they get allowed to pretty much set up their own colony and rule themselves. But you have to report back to big brother at some point. So, Without, like, a common law, it meant that there was a lot of infighting between groups in the area, and also they had to deal with Native American attacks while the colony was going through its birthing pains. So, on top of this, there was a lot of fear after a recent smallpox epidemic that put a lot of suspicions on the forefront of people's minds in search for a cause for why this would be allowed to happen, why why God would allow this to happen, pretty much. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> what you had to keep in mind was... Basically, their reasoning for a lot, like basically any hardships. I mean, even when you go back to the uh, witch trials in Europe, that was the justification for a lot of witches, quote unquote, witches being killed. It's, oh, my cow died. Oh, there's like a famine. Um, And a lot of other cases. Oh, this winter is especially cold, you know. So that was kind of their justification for a lot of of those things. Definitely. So... All of this led up to the February February or March of 1692. And in whatever the month was, in early spring, Betty Paris, the daughter of a local church minister, and Abigail Williams, which is also a super cool black metal band, if any of you like that kind of music, uh, Betty's orphaned cousin, suffered from strange fits similar to seizures as well as screamed in pain. And they would contort their bodies and bark like dogs, it was said. So the min- a minister can't, the, well, the minister, I say, but it's, it was Betty Paris's father tried to pray for the girls, but nothing seemed to help. So they had a physician and a local minister come in, whose names were John Hale and William Griggs, to come and check on the girls and give their opinion. And Hale said, These children were bitten and pinched by invisible agents turned this way and that way and returned back again, so it was impossible to do of themselves. Basically saying there's no way that these girls could do 
the things that they were doing with their bodies on their own. There had to be some sort of outside influence causing them to act this way. Right. And the medicine at the time, I also saw in one of my sources that the physician basically said there's nothing like clinically at that time wrong with them other than like what their movements were doing, which may have been unnatural. But that's how they kind of landed on, well, our modern science can't explain it. It's a witch. It's witches. Witches it's be crazy. evil ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So after that, the diagnosis was in. Witchcraft was the source of the problem. So it was said in some sources that the girls were dabbling in some easygoing forms of divination magic before this happened, but it's not really certain that that really contributed to this happening or not. But it was said that they were doing some sort of ritual to see what their future husbands would look like, and one of the girls in the mirror saw a coffin, and that kind of freaked them both out. And from there on, that's when this stuff kind of started happening, so... It could just be coincidental, or it could be related. Who knows? They just showed the ugliest dude. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, no, 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 and then started twitching. It's like from Shrek when they're going through the princesses, except it's just like this hideous guy. Uh, number three. <laughs> Pick number three. Holds up two yeah. fingers. Yeah. <laughs> so at the same time, not, not long after, I should say, uh, gr- another girl named Anne Putnam Jr. began to be afflicted as well, quote-unquote afflicted, and I'll talk about her involvement more in a bit. And I know Evan has some more research on some of what the explanations for maybe the cause behind why they were acting this way could be. Yeah, I'll focus on two that I found that were pretty interesting, uh, I thought. One was that these girls could have been uh, affected by what's called conversion disorder. And now, and this is from the definition of conversion disorder, because I obviously don't know from the top of my head. It's the confusion that comes with trying to convert money in different countries. Yes, correct. (laughs) (laughs) I think I have that one. I think I do too. How much is my dollar worth here? Sir, it's worth nothing. I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Sir, this is a game of Monopoly. Sir, you're at Walmart in America. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, conversion disorder, it's a condition in which an individual experiences symptoms that affect their nervous system for example paralysis uh, signs of basically their body kind of also going wild so it can either shut your body down it can also make it hyperactive Uh, without an explanation from a physical injury or illness like we talked about before they technically their bodies didn't have a illness or injury but they were acting very strangely Um, conversion disorder often occurs after a significant emotional psychological or physical distress and like jacob mentioned there was just so much going on in the build-up it was raised by native americans it was wars on the frontiers it was also they hate this sucks we don't have ac (laughs) (laughs) um and i also found a really this is one of the excerpts from the book that i did not fully read uh, from Professor Emerson W. Baker. You could have just said you didn't know when I questioned it. You could have just been like, I found this one quote that was specifically interesting. Right, and I just all of a sudden like, have a tuxedo on, because that's what happens when you read a book. A monocle. Um, <laughs> but uh, he says, and I quote, Conversion disorder, one of the several psychological conditions that Abigail Hobbs and other afflicted people might have suffered from in 19, or 1692, shows heightened awareness of one's surroundings. Scholars have long noted the connections between the witchcraft outbreak and King William's War, which raised on Massachusetts' northern frontier and was responsible for the war hysteria 
that seems to have been present in Salem Village and throughout Essex County. And I believe that was the Native American War that the colony had pretty recently gotten out of. It was like a 15-year war. Correct. So it was a, it yeah. was a long skirmish. So there's a lot of a lot of stressors going on from outside forces as well as as I said a lot of infighting. So I mean, I played Halo Infinite quite a bit. I don't have conversion disorder. <laughs> <laughs> so you're Not saying down. that was infighting in no. Halo Infinite? Oh. All right. Oh. I thought that's what you were going for. Oh no. Oh, no, he's like, talking about the like cuz it's about like heretics and stuff, right? Yeah. What? <laughs> I think we're both. I don't think Everyone's any of us are on separate pages. Yeah, we're all no, on sep- in Halo, like the storyline. Oh. Oh. oh, I'm going way. I tell you, yeah. I'm yeah. like in Everyone's the Halo. reading into it at different yeah. levels. Yeah, yeah, we're all on. We're not on the same page. <laughs> that's Weird, we're going that deep into the Halo lore. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it started with the precursors. <laughs> yeah. Then the flood came. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, another uh, explanation. Excuse me. Oh, sorry. Let me go back to conversion disorder real quick. Uh, Professor Baker also explains that the afflicted girls, such as Abigail Hobbs, Mercy Lewis, and Susanna Sheldon, Sarah Churchwell, they were actually all war refugees who had previously lived in Maine and had been personally affected by the war to the point where some of them may have been experiencing PTSD. So that's another reason why they may have just, like, they just reached their stress limit. Um, again, these are all just allegedly like these aren't yeah. for sure confirmed. Um, well, and another thing too with like, especially with the girls at the beginning, it's just like if they have all of this attention on them now because they're acting strangely. First of all, it could just be that they wanted attention and this was their way of getting it. And then mm-hmm. once they did get it, and then they heard the word witchcraft, they're like, "Well, now I have to play into this. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I just went." through all of this for nothing in too deep yeah so basically then it's peer pressure time where you have to listen to what everyone else is saying and then since they're living in small homes you can hear what your parents and like whoever else is there is saying so if you can just catch a couple names and start mm-hmm. being like it was them they did it right that's so. very true um another explanation <clears throat> excuse me that i found was something called ergo or ergo ergot ergot Man, I kind of like Ergo a lot more. <laughs> Ergo. Yeah, it has a little flair to it. Uh, Ergot poisoning. So in a 1976 article by uh, Linda R. Caporeal, um, she proposed that Ergot, God, I'm not going to get over that, may have caused the symptoms that the afflicted girls and uh, some other accusers may have suffered from. So Ergot is a... Fungus that infects rye and other cereal grains and contains a byproduct known as ergotamine. I was gonna the entire time I was practicing, I was like ergotamine. <laughs> Close enough. Ergotamine. Sure. Uh, which is fun fact. Actually, quick trivia. What drug is this ergotamine uh, related to? I'm gonna say LSD. Yeah. LSD. And ding 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 ding. <laughs> it's related to LSD. So it makes you trip balls. It makes you trip balls, as well as cause cardiovascular and neurological effects, uh, convulsions, vomiting, crawling sensations on the skin, hallucinations, gangrene. How can I get me some of this musty bread? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, you're just like, you just see this guy in a huge trench coat in Salem, Massachusetts, just want some of this gangrene. <laughs> um, 
Ergot tends to grow in warm, damp weather, and those conditions were very much present in 1691, or in the 1691 growing season. Uh, in the fall, the infected rye would have been harvested and used to bake bread uh, during the winter months, which is when the afflicted girl symptoms began. And this theory is also highly doubted. There's just not a ton of real evidence to go off of. I mean, this event happened over 300 years ago. We can't be like, no, it was the bread. Right. Uh, or confirm that it was the bread. Who knows? It may have been. Um, but also, just a quick little fun little tidbit. Do you know that a majority of like witchcraft trials, so for example, what happened in Salem, as well as Europe, a lot of them happened like during irregular cold weather spouts yeah so for example just in support of this theory um the most active era of witchcraft trials which of course were in europe and we did an episode about that it was actually during a 400 year long cold period known as the little ice age so everyone just had the sniffles yeah everyone was cold as balls and they were like we have these fires going just throw a witch more, on top of more bread please <laughs> that and it's like can i get like one coal of like start a fire that'd be cool yeah 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 um but yeah that's kind of what i had for probably, that. probably hard to confirm whose witches and not because it was that cold probably not nearly as many ducks around <laughs> <laughs> they all a flew duck. south for 400 years <laughs> they didn't see a duck until 1702 <laughs> but it was funny because i was listening to a, a podcast about a completely different topic and it it was all based around like the beginnings of religion, basically saying that maybe there was rituals going on that used ergot as like yeah. a psychedelic so that they could have more enhanced rituals. So I just thought it was funny that it, this stuff, like this theory, is common in more than one place. So, but I like you said, it's just kind of doubtful, just because I feel like if that was the cause, that it would be happening a lot more. Just because right. I feel like it'd be way more common for people to encounter it and then end up tripping. Unless the girls just got into their dad's secret stash. <laughs> secret ergot stash. He, he, do, he knew that it would do that, so he's just like, I need to get me that. That's actually what happened to Roanoke. They all got high as shit and like jumped off a yeah. cliff on accident. Oh, that's funny. The village, which, as I mentioned earlier, was split into the town and the village, uh, upon hearing about the alleged witchcraft, began to immediately dole out accusations. And the first person to get the finger pointed at them was the Paris family's slave named Tichiba. And after her was a woman named Sarah Good, who was an old beggar woman from the town, and another woman also named Sarah, named Sarah Osborne. And these three women are the three that pretty much kickstart the trial fever in Salem. They were all pretty poor, and one of them was a slave, so they didn't really have much propriety, and accusations were pretty much certainly going to be fatal in their cases. And it kind of shocked everyone that instead of trying to fight the accusation, Tichuba actually told a tale about seeing a man in black that forced her to write her name in the devil's book and thus made her the devil's servant. So she pretty much just came out and said, yeah, you're right, I'm a witch, I made a deal with the devil. And then she even went on to list the two Sarahs as her accomplices, saying that they sent animals uh, to attack people and stuff like that. And after this confession, Tichiba became known as the Black Witch of Salem. Well, if she just said it sarcastically and they just didn't pick up on it, she was like, yeah, I'm totally a witch. And these two <laughs> other Sarahs are with me. And they're totally. like, oh, no, you said it. <laughs> <laughs> write that down, write that down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sarcasm does not convert when it's written down. 
uh, so that I, black witchcraft has become like a very taboo phrase, especially in America ever since this too. So her being labeled as the black witch of Salem, whether it was just because of her like skin color or because of black witchcraft, uh, who knows, but it's become a very controversial phrase. And I know even in Yu-Gi-Oh, which we like to bring up constantly, uh, the dark magician was called the black magician originally in Japan. And they changed it when it came to America to dark magician because huh. they didn't want to reference black witchcraft. So, or black magic. So after these three, many other accusations came rolling in. Family members started accusing one of another, friends started accusing one another, and everyone collectively lost their goddamn minds. And I saw in a couple different places that the youngest to be accused was the five-year-old daughter of Sarah Good. And in one spot, I saw that she was four years old. So this did not exclude children by any means of the imagination. So, Which is insane. Like, barely new words. And- yeah. Yeah, uh, that's just sad. I just watched a show on Netflix called Hellbound, and it focuses a lot on kind of this hysteria surrounding religious fanaticism. And they actually, this is kind of a point that they show in a couple of the episodes. And I just thought it was funny how this message is still being taught today, kind of in a different way that we need to like be careful of this stuff. But Hmm. yeah, if you guys like Korean shows, I'd recommend watching that one. It's pretty cool. But anyways, so at the same time as all this going on, the royal charter that they had it was recently revoked, and this kind of left the colony ungoverned. So it was kind of a perfect storm of circumstances. And while they were already accusing people, it wasn't until May that a man named William Phipps arrived in a, with a new charter that, and then came and set up a special court to try all of the accused witches that had since piled up in the town jail. So this guy pretty much went to Europe, came back, and saw like a packed jail with a bunch of random people in it, and they're all just like, we got to get these people on the execution block now. (laughs) And he's just like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, like, can I take my coat off first? I just got back. It's just crazy how fast this all happens. So the court, known as the Court of Oyer and Terminer, was then officially established, And even though there's plenty of room for doubt in most cases, nobody in the town that even was on the opposite side where they opposed all of this was bold enough to say anything because then they would make themselves a target, as is common in all of these witchcraft trials, even in Europe. Right. Just the uh, you mentioned, like, if you spoke up, you were accused of being a witch. There actually was a local farmer named John Proctor who scoffed at the idea that witchcraft witchcraft could actually be a thing in Salem and called the young girls scam artists. And his entire family and himself were accused of being witches, including all of his children and his pregnant wife, Elizabeth. That's the scary part. Like, your whole family could get just dragged in with you. Mm -hmm. Like, no one's really safe, which is terrifying. Yeah, and it's kind of sad because really how this whole thing started was two women talking to each other, one who washed laundry, one who knitted, and another girl came over and they said, what, you know, witchcraft are you good at? And they said, witchcraft! And then, <laughs> and then you know, then that's how it all went I down. thought you were going to say they were smelly because they didn't wash their clothes. Well, that, that, well that's just likely. <laughs> I mean, everybody here um, probably stunk a little bit. Witchcraft. <laughs> 
Okay, but I do have... That uh, was so good. <laughs> I definitely had you thinking I was going to say something serious for a second. Uh, but I do want to bring up... How do you pronounce that one uh, woman who was actually a slave at the time? Tibita? Tichuba. Tichuba. Well, do you know how she was told to try and get rid of the supposed like bewitchment of the girls? She baked specimens oh, of yeah. all their urine. Yeah. Into a cake. Oh, yeah. what? Yeah. 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 I have actually heard about that. That is nasty. So she just took some of their pee and baked a cake? I think it was actually like that's how there's like they said that she bewitched them was that she no, like, did it was it with them, with it was actually how she was trying to get rid of a bewitchment. Oh, wow. at least according to the article. So like that's how you get rid of the oppressive person over these people, bro. <laughs> I honestly have no words. I mean, I know that's uh, which did anyone have to eat it? I don't know. Wait, I, I, I didn't. Not. I didn't. I didn't get further into it. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't do a deep dive on no, witch cakes. No, no. Yeah. I don't. Oh. I don't want to see where you know that river of knowledge flowed to. You <laughs> know what I mean? Nice. Yeah. That's insane. Ugh. So remember uh, the third girl that I mentioned earlier, Anne Putnam Jr. Well, it is claimed that her father, a lot, uh, whose name is Thomas Putnam along with Mr. Paris, may have taken advantage of the situation for their benefit. So they wanted to pretty much readjust the power in the village by using the hysteria to get rid of their opposition. In the book called The Salem Witch Trials, A Reference Guide, there is a quote stating that in this process, the men, quote, were ably assisted by their female children, servants, and relatives, Anne Putnam Jr., Anne Putnam Sr., Susanna Sheldon, and Elizabeth Booth. In short, the majority of the, quote, afflicted girls, end quote. So this just goes to show that not only were people read- readily believing that some of these women actually were witches, and who's to say how many actually believe that, but also that people in town were actively using this situation to push a beneficial agenda for themselves. And just for reference, in total, Ann Putnam Jr. accused anywhere from 62 to 89 people of witchcraft, 17 of which were executed. So she, I did not know she was putting up those kind of numbers. She put up like over three quarters of the of the people that got executed. She literally went for a double double. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) But it was funny because all of the things that I read said that her father was writing out all of the like accusation statements because she was too young to do it on her own because I believe she was twelve at the time. So just think of the pressure that's on this girl that your dad is telling you you got to give me names and what are you going to say? You're going to say no. Cause then you're going to probably be labeled as a conspirator. Probably the chick who just fed her cake you're in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Still a little bit uh, pissed off about that. Hey, whoa, whoa, pissed off than pissed off. Oh, uh, I guess you didn't escape. Well, <laughs> uh, uh. so who, why are we, why were they believing a 12 year old? I mean, I, like in this, if the same in, thing happened in the, the satanic panic in the 80s and 90s, they were listening to children. Oh, yeah. So it it's just because these people are like, well, children can't lie. True. So now I think of myself as a 12 year old, and if one, if mom and dad stop listening, I mean, you lie as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> well, just imagine like your parents sit you down. I and- never. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine your parents sit you down. Paul's and, gonna beat and, your ass. And they just 
pretty much say, we need to talk to you because we know that you know what's going on. And mm. if you don't give us names, then these people aren't going to be brought to justice. And you're like, well, now what do I do? Right. So it's pretty, it's a scary situation to be in. And whether Ann Putnam Jr. was willingly doing this of her own accord or whether some sources say that they, she had a pretty abusive home life from her mother, which is usually the opposite. It's usually the father, but who knows? Because it's it's all up in the air because mm-hmm. what is she going to say? Like we said, she's not going to say no. So. so the first to be executed for being a witch was a woman named Bridget Bishop who was accused by Ann Putnam Jr., and she was hanged on June 10th, 1692. And that's kind of one common misconception about the witch hunts or witch trials is no witches were ever really burned at the stake, at least in Salem. Some were over in Europe, but in Salem, none were. Most of them were all hanged. And this is the same case with a man named George Burroughs, who was a local minister. So he, despite being a minister, was still accused and set to be hanged. And while on the gallows, George recited the entirety of the Lord's Prayer word for word, which was thought to be impossible for a witch. But they still hung him anyways, because they already got that deep in. They're not going to change their minds now, because then that would set a precedent that anyone could do it and then get off scot-free. Well, and the guy tied such a lovely knot. (laughs) It'd be a shame to waste it. I already got this noose. Yeah. He's the only one fighting for it. Just like, guys, we got to do this. Yeah, the executioner's yeah. the only one that's like, guys, come on. <laughs> so you're probably asking, what were the court proceedings like if these are a few of the end results? Well, the court system at the time was much different than how our current legal system is set up, as you could probably guess. Because this was even before we had the Constitution before we were officially established as our own country. So a lot of things were left up to little colonies on their own. So unlike our modern innocent until proven guilty setup, it was actually the opposite. You were guilty until you could prove yourself innocent, which was a tough job because witches had to prove themselves innocent on their own since they were not allowed a public defender. And to make matters even worse, there is no cross-examination of witnesses allowed. So one man named Len Niehoff, a professor at Michigan Law School, said that this fact is particularly frustrating because, quote, most of the witnesses against the accused witches could have been very effectively challenged, end quote. Mm-hmm. So these people just never had a chance. It, it was, it's kangaroo court. Basically, yeah. Better than kangaroo jack. <laughs> Throw some respect on Kangaroo Jack's name right now. Oh, that's so funny. I haven't seen or thought of that movie in years. <laughs> <laughs> this is why this is why we ne- always need to have Mark. Yeah. <laughs> Kangaroo Jack. I'm not even going to say what I have right now, but uh, <laughs> as far as the courts thing goes, what's so interesting is that I feel like the first thing people would have done once they realized they were screwed anyway would have been to accuse the judges of witchcraft and just turn it on them. But for some reason, they were just, hey, no, 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 no. Yeah. Like, I am, you can be accused, but I, I am totally yeah, immune. You see this wig I'm wearing? It's powder white. <laughs> yeah. But the thing with that, too, is, like, you're already accused and pretty much, like, guaranteed to be sentenced as a witch. So no one's really listening to you at that point anyways. That's fair. So, I mean, I'm sure people probably tried that and it just didn't really go anywhere, yeah. which I probably definitely would have done that. So, mm-hmm. but. And then. 
Are you guys going to talk about, maybe I don't know if you guys brought it up, the two different, like, subsects of families that, like, didn't like each other? The, what do you mean? <clears throat> in in that area, there were two different, uh, like, families. That one that was more of, like, a poor group of people and one of more, like, a wealthy line that was uh, close with the merchants in the other part of Salem or by, like, the bay or whatever. Sure. Right, right. I do remember glancing at this, but I didn't. Yeah, basically there was... I think the wealthier family might have been the Putnams, honestly. Yeah. Uh, hold on. Hold but on. maybe there's another one. No, you can keep going. I'll bring it up later. One of the popular ways to accuse a witch and prove your claims in court was to use what is known as spectral evidence. So basically, the idea of spectral evidence is that the witness claims to have seen an accused person's spirit or spectral shape in a dream while their physical body was residing elsewhere. And this is significant because it wasn't supposed to be accepted as it was against the normal legal precedent at the time. And basically they just said the only way someone could project themselves into my dreams or whatever is if they were a witch and could fit, like control that power to show themselves to me. And women got a lot of explaining to do. If we know. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how they would react if they uh, if these people ever saw the movie Inception. Oh gosh, <laughs> they would just be like burning the theater. <laughs> oh, they're trying to get Leo DiCaprio like pronto. <laughs> yeah. So one another strange anomaly of the trials was the fact that nearly every innocent plea ended in execution, while everyone that pled guilty pretty much just resulted in a jail sentence and not death. And the reason for this was due to the fact that the courts believed anyone who had been accused of witchcraft was basically already guilty, and therefore, if they claimed they were innocent, they were stacking on their sins by lying about not being a witch. But alternatively, if someone pled guilty, they fit the Puritan idea of remorse and repentance and would be spared from death and instead given a jail sentence or otherwise. It's crazy that these judges were also like well-educated. Yeah, uh, a lot right. of them were like what Ox, like one was Oxford, Oxford Harvard. And Harvard. Yeah, let's see. Now they might have been morons, but they weren't supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. Like they were fairly well uh, upstanding people, uh, at least initially. So. And that's a good point too. Is that not only were only poor because usually in witchcraft trials they discriminate against like the poorer people in the community or kind of like the outcasts. But in the, the Salem witch trials, there was pretty much nobody that was off the table for being accused. Like, mm-hmm. eventually, towards the end, there is a rumor that someone accused William Phipps' uh, wife, who was the guy that brought them their new charter. Yeah, but that's when, well, and we're going to get to it, but like, and that's when he's like, all right, yeah. I'm done with this, <laughs> this crap. Once like, it got personal, yeah. Yeah, that's so funny, though, that he had so much power at the minute. He got, he like, his family got him all these, like, we're done. Yeah, like, I, this. I'm just imagining him, like, feet kicked up in front of the fireplace, like, reading a newspaper, and then yeah. someone comes in, just like, your wife's a witch. And he's like, that's it. Shut yeah. it down. <laughs> yeah, shut it down. It's like, God. At the like, next town council meeting. Yeah. Guys, I think we should uh, take another look at this. He like yeah. shuts the newspaper and starts rubbing his eyes. He's like, <laughs> yeah. He's like okay, okay, now I see it. Now <laughs> yeah. I see it. They're going to let this go on a little too long. <laughs> yeah, he, he's like, she's close to a witch, but that's not the word I would have used. <laughs> but we can't do this, guys. We can't. Um, but the, the families I was talking about were who you said, Jared, the Putnams and then the Porters. Okay. So the argument is that because there was this uh, – Romeo and Juliet family kind of thing going on oh, as, right. as far as like them hating each other. Yeah. Well, there was no Romeo and oh. Juliet. But, <laughs> okay, but, uh, but uh, yeah, as far as the family's not liking each other, 
they that's why they would have accused people of the other family all the mm-hmm. time because they basically knew if you could get everyone to agree that they were like oh you're doing witchcraft they could kind of kill them right off. and that's where like the uh the discrimination on like wealthy versus poor people yeah. comes into because the putnams definitely very much came out on top so yeah but giles Corey, who we did bring up in our prior witchcraft episode and who i believe i accidentally claimed was a woman was crushed by rocks. So he was one of the only exceptions who did not get hanged, along with four or five uh, who apparently died while in prison. I couldn't find a specific number. It went from like four to five to seven. So somewhere around there, died while in prison or in custody. Among the accused was also Martha Corey and Rebecca Nurse, who are both upstanding church and community members. And that's where it comes back to, it didn't really discriminate too much on social standings. Ministers, wealthy business people, and poor people were on a fairly level playing field throughout all this. Obviously, as we mentioned, the Putnams and people like that were kind of more on top because they had more connections and just people were kind of behind them. But when all was said and done, around 150 to 200 people were arrested, men and women alike. However, of course, a majority women as these things go. And things hit a fever pitch in September of 1692 when a supposed eight witches were hung on a single day, seven women and one man. Yeah, sorry, I just, uh, to go back to Giles Corey really quick, he actually never entered a plea, and so he was actually tortured to death. Um, yeah, he was pressed by stones. Yes. Yeah, and I, I believe he's like said something badass right before he died but i can't remember what it was i didn't write it down rock and roll (laughs) (laughs) fuck you bitches yeah that's that's a real rocky situation (laughs) time of being between a rock and a hard place (laughs) oh gosh it was it was like everyone kind of objected to this too because they're like that's like a rare european style of torture i don't know why we're gonna bring that over to this new colony that we have but right there's enough people that were just like, well, we got to get a confession. So, these are just some sadistic people. Is what was going on? I think some mm-hmm. people got a little bit of a little killjoy going. Oh on. yeah, it's very mm-hmm. insane. So eventually, even before the executions ended, the town was starting to realize that what they were doing was a mistake. It wasn't so much that the people were becoming disillusioned by the idea that people were witches, but by the trial proceedings themselves, and. That's one thing that I kind of want to point out is I'm sure it wasn't all these people didn't believe there was witches or believe there was witches. I'm sure that there was definitely people in the community that were like, witches have to be real if this stuff is happening. And so there were people that were genuinely in this because they wanted to stop, quote unquote, evil. But as we've seen, there's also people that are just doing this to benefit themselves or because they just lost their goddamn mind. (laughs) Like... Yeah, there's a lot of different motivations to kind of this hysteria. Yeah, and that's why there's so many lessons to be learned from this, and that's why it's, as we'll get into later, why it's endured for so long. Increase Mathers, who was a famous puritanical preacher in the area, and his son Cotton Mathers was almost as famous as he was, said that it would be better that 10 accused witches go free than to see one innocent person put to death. And the public very much echoed that sentiment. And as we mentioned earlier, when Governor Phipps' own wife was accused, he ordered the proceedings to be stopped in the court of Oyer and Terminer and instead put a superior court of judicature. And this court was not allowed to use spectral evidence, which was a main source of evidence during the original trials. 
So after this move on October 29th, 56 more people would be indicted. However, only three would be convicted, and even those would be pardoned by May of 1693. Do you have something? Oh, I was just going to say, um, to go back to your point of that new preacher coming in saying if even one innocent life is lost, then, I mean, that's just not worth it. Even It's worth like 10 witches going free. Um, Paris, who was the preacher in Salem, he actually said the opposite. So he said that for the preservation of the church, or excuse me, that the preservation of the church was worth a hundred lives, and that during a sermon... He actually commanded, or he preached that, a curse there is on such as shed, not blood, when they have a commission from God. So basically saying, if you stand idly by and don't do anything about like this situation that may be affecting the preservation of the church, you're cursed. Like, you're going to hell, basically. And that's where it's dangerous, because this was very much a theocratic community, where Right. The, the ministers held a majority of the power because they were getting the divine word from God on how to run this little community. Mm-hmm. So it it gets very dangerous when people like that get a little power crazy or have an agenda that they want to push behind everything else. So, right, reminds me of that season of Game of Thrones where like the church takes yeah. over the city. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. Anyway. I miss that show. Yeah. In the end. 19 people had been hanged, four to five people died in custody, and Giles had been pressed to death by stones. 25 people had lost their lives in less than a year due to these witch hunts, as the term would become to known. And that's come to be known. That's kind of where the term witch hunts comes from, is Salem. After the trials ended, some people, such as Samuel Sewell, who had served as one of the judges, publicly acknowledged his personal error and guilt in the trials. In 1702, the general court declared the trials were unlawful five years after it had instituted a day of fasting in remembrance of the events. Anne Putnam Jr., who we mentioned and talked about earlier, made a public apology on August 25th, 1706. And I'm going to say right off the bat that this is more of a, in my opinion, an attempt to cover her ass and try and save her reputation more so than actually showing remorse for what she did. In her confession of past sins as part of her membership requirement for Salem Village Church, she says, in part, I desired to be humbled before God, that I, then being in my childhood, should, by such a providence of God, be made an instrument for the accusing of several persons of a grievous crime, whereby their lives were taken away from them, whom now I have just grounds and good reason to believe they were innocent persons, and that it was a great delusion of Satan that deceived me in that sad time. And she continues, As I was a chief instrument of accusing goodwife nurse, who was their neighbor of whom they had a ton of land disputes with, and her two sisters, I desire to lie in the dust and earnestly beg forgiveness of God. And although this was somewhat of a pretentious apology, where she basically said, Satan did this, not me, She was the only one of the afflicted girls to ever actually give an apology for her accusatory role in the trial, so there's something to be said for that. Some families, after the fact, received monetary settlements, and in 1957, the state of Massachusetts officially apologized for the trials, which only took almost 300 years. Yeah, what was the holdup? (laughs) Yeah, and it wasn't... Gotta gather all the facts. Yeah, right. (laughs) 
<laughs> and it wasn't until almost 50 years after that, in 2001, that the final 11 convicted persons were fully declared innocent from the trials. This is an ongoing investigation. <laughs> they, they we have to review all of the evidence. Yeah. We have a time machine. We're going can, back. Can we say for sure they weren't witches? <laughs> <laughs> and thus ends the saga of the Salem Witch Trials. And so this is where Man. I wanted to go into, you know, why are these still like why are these still talked about? Why is this still such an important thing especially in american culture it's not as big outside of america from what i've read but in america it's still a very well preserved and like common trope or like source of information so all oh, right there's a new movie about salem in some way like almost every single year exactly so why was this event so event so important well for one it was the last witch trial of its scale Shortly after, the trials in Europe came to an end and humanity entered into an age of reason. And unlike the European trials, there is a well of resources to examine the Salem witch trials because Puritans, despite how strict and overzealous they were, were quite meticulous about record keeping, which helps us in researching this today. After they ended, the trial story was applied many times throughout the following decades as an argument to support a certain case. So, for example... This argument will be used more and more to argue against any religious movement that was seen to have a strong central leader with unorthodox rituals that appeared to have taken away its followers' autonomy, such as the Mormons later on. It even extended into the Civil War when a southern paper read, The North, who, having begun with burning witches, will end by burning us! And in that paper that I mentioned earlier, uh, The Witchcraft Trials in the American Imagination by Gretchen Adams, she says that, one of the biggest reasons it's persisted so long is because of its versatility of uses as a metaphor for something pressing at a certain time. And in her words, she says, So more than 300 years later, the memory of Salem witchcraft persists without a satisfying resolution to our most pressing questions about the episode itself. It continues to be of enormous use whether the subject is the tension between the duties of citizenship and religious allegiance or baseball because someone used it as an allegory for why the, I think it was the Red Sox, could not win a World Series because they were cursed by a witch or something like that. I never I never knew it was because of that. That's insane. It's something like that, yeah. There, there was some paper that was written where someone compared it to the witch, the witchcraft trials of Salem or whatever. It was like a punishment. Huh. Well, so. that's... It's a stretch, but I respect it. It is, but I that's guess. that's where it comes. Like that's why it's still around because people are right. still using it as some sort of source of information. So another reason why Salem has persisted so long is because of the lasting effect it had on how the public viewed the government. As we mentioned earlier, Salem was a theocracy, and thus the trials were seen as a decision passed down from God to His servants in the church. And the church at the time focused a lot on the confession of sins. And since the public could quite well see that the government had committed quite the atrocities against human rights, all in the name of God, and would not admit their wrongdoing, it put quite the sour taste in the mouths of the public and pretty well shattered their ideas of divine governance. And lastly, the cultural impact of Salem cannot be understated. Not only were there tons of different works written about Salem in the years after it, mostly portraying the events in a rightfully negative light, but there is also... A lot of shows and movies, as Evan mentioned, such as American Horror Story or movies like Hocus Pocus or, uh, as we mentioned at the top of the show, that Scooby-Doo movie. Like, it's 
in a lot of different sources of media. So, and that town has very much used this reputation to propel its tourism industry. So it's just had a huge pop culture impact as well as like political and to end this, I just want to kind of give my opinion and I have a little spiel that I want to go through, but after that, I kind of want to get your guys' opinions on everything and kind of what your stance is on all of it. So at the end of it all, the events at Salem bring me back to what I mentioned about conspiracy becoming dangerous in the Hollow Earth episode we did recently. Except in this case, it didn't take long for a conspiracy to grip and consume an entire community. Within the rigid religious structure of the town, it was a quick turn to mania when the thought of devils in Salem was introduced. And before people knew it, over 20 members of the community had been killed by the very people who swore to uphold that same community's values. The amount of people involved in the events influenced the governmental and emotional landscape of America. With many people in the area spreading throughout the country in the coming decades, it wasn't hard to track down someone who was closely related to the events in one way or another. (sighs) And this is the part where I gotta like break up the seriousness because I have to mention this Reddit user's name. As Reddit user... Ragnar Fuzzy Breaches stated, my argument... Known philosopher and scholar. (laughs) (laughs) That's the funny part about going on like the Ask Historians page because all these people have such funny names, but they're given like like huge essay paragraphs of like why things happen. Just knowledge bombs, like sources cited and everything. Yeah, literally. So he states, my argument is that the Salem witch trials hold more than a superficial role in the history of the world. Despite the fact that Salem still does exploit its own history for profit, the trials have remained important to the American consciousness because of their significance in shaping the history of the relationship between the government and the people. And despite the obvious warning signs that these events show us today, there are still traces of these dangerous ideas around. The satanic panic of the 80s and 90s that I mentioned earlier echoed the idea that certain people in society led godless lives, but this time because of the media they consumed. And it wasn't harmless this time either. The case of the West Memphis Three is one of the most famous examples where three young men were falsely accused of the horrific abuse and murder of three young boys just because of their alternative lifestyles. They were eventually released from prison, but they lost 18 years of their lives in jail. And there are still at least three people serving prison sentences for crimes that they probably never committed or had never even happened. And just this year, Dog the Bounty Hunter claimed that Brian Landry wasn't just a one-time murderer, but likely a serial killer just because of the books he owned. These alleged demonic books were, in his words, ten times worse than Dungeons and Dragons. So, as a Vox article that I read put it, perhaps the fear shouldn't be of the dark sides evident in the books someone reads, but the fear that those suspicions might eventually turn on you. And I think that's kind of what I got out of it. It's just like, it, these things can get out of hand very quickly, and it's not like you can't be accused of it either, so... Definitely why it's so important to hold to the idea of innocent until proven guilty. I mean, Mm -hmm. it seems cliche, but everything about civil society kind of depends on that being the case. Even if you're so sure somebody's guilty of something, and we see that time and again, where something happens and everybody's very quick to assume they know what happened. Right. And it's not to say that what you think isn't also the case, but you very much have to flush these things out because you never know when it's going to be, unfortunately for a lot of people, your time to be in the spotlight to find that in the court of public opinion you're going to be guilty, when maybe you know you're not. And so Mm -hmm. it's important to know the facts and um, do right by the individual as opposed to just what everyone else thinks or whatever. Right. That is very true and very interesting point. Doing the research and just after doing this episode, 
kind of makes me think just because Salem was such a theocracy and a lot of the colonies were honestly theocracies to begin with. That's how they started. A lot of their charters were actually built on that theocracy uh, principle. If that's why the founding fathers of the U.S. actually don't specifically name a specific religion's God in any documents. Right. You know, it's just separation of church and state. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Which I think is just such a, like, obviously we don't think about it now, but such a huge part of just a lot of great things about America that a lot of religions are welcome here and should be welcomed here. And the fact that we don't have one religion backing a government or very prevalent in the government is a really good thing. Nor would you want that. Look Nor where, would you look, want that. Look where that's the case in so many places around the world, like right. even now, of all yeah. religions. It's mm-hmm. not it's not anyone particular. You can find it all over the place. And it does not work out. Yeah, and, it, and I'm true. sure it sounded like we were ragging on religion during this episode, but like that's not what we're trying to say. We're trying to say that any ideology can get very out of hand if people are too strictly adhered to it and mm-hmm. can't see outside of their own like mental thoughts on what they think is right yeah so the next time you think about uh claiming someone's a witch like take five deep breaths crack open a, a sprite go for a job. chill out well actually take go, a cold shower on. i mean feel free to do it the problem is you might get countersued now yeah That's right. <laughs> so that is very true yeah so i just thought it was interesting how there's still correlations between this stuff like Within our lifetimes, almost. So it's very sad it happened. Never should have happened. I will say there are large judicial benefits to what occurred here, as yeah. far as our law as it stands today. Yeah, it definitely opened the eyes of a lot of people, saying like we need to do something about like changing how we run things so that this doesn't happen again. And thankfully, it hasn't happened on this scale again, but at least not in America. But well, yeah. the thing is, it kind of has in other ways. Like, you think about uh, what happened mm-hmm. in World War II, the way that Asians were treated yeah. Uh, yeah. and incarcerated in many cases, or at least put in, like, camps and whatnot. Mm-hmm. That's obviously, I mean, some people probably died while they were in those camps, obviously. Oh, yeah. But uh, even though they weren't directly hanging everybody, it is still directly taking away people's rights who have no reason to be thought of as doing something wrong right and so it, there are ramifications to this type of thing and fear you know just like we say it sells in the media it also causes people to do things irrational when it comes to the law and i'm always nervous about that i mean everyone should mm-hmm. be a little apprehensive of how easily we allow people to be accused that's why even if you see someone on tv or online and you think somebody did something that you that you think that wow this person should go away that might end up being proven to be the case but with things I agree with or don't agree with, I always like hearing things flushed out because you don't want to see the alternative being true. We do not want people at home on Twitter determining who goes to jail and who doesn't. <laughs> right. It's not going to be a great system. So That anyway. is very true. Yeah, and I think the media nowadays is the biggest driving factor behind a lot of like anything like this happening again. It's just like that's how the whole satanic panic started is because people on the news were saying – if your kid owns this book or that book, or like if you know people that are doing this or that or watching mm-hmm. these movies, then you might want to keep an eye on them because they could be a part of something satanic or like yeah. some dark magic. Right. That actually reminds me of the, uh, you're going to have to help me out a ton. The hotel in LA where that's the Hotel Cecil. Hotel Cecil. Thank you. Um, there was actually a 
I believe he was from Mexico. He was a heavy metal artist who was in L.A. to record music. And he posted a video on, this is like early internet. Uh, he posted a video uh, basically in all of his, I'll just call it heavy metal makeup because I don't know technical term for it. But let's just say that he looked different. He looked scary. And recently, a person died at the Hotel Cecil and she was missing. Or at the time she was missing. The internet and Twitter actually found the video from this man and basically canceled him for it, ruining his entire career. And simply because he kind of looked the way he did. Um, and like they found other videos of him, like music videos of him doing like screaming, screamo music, let's call it, or just heavy metal music. Yeah. And they took that as, oh, this is the guy that killed this girl when they weren't even at the hotel at the same time. It's like they did stay at the same hotel, but just completely different times. So that's just, again, just hysteria and kind of hysteria has evolved quite a bit throughout the ages so now we just have an online version of it Yeah, we have so much more readily available sources of information too so we can accuse someone that's not even in the same vicinity as us now so right (laughs) yeah and uh you know you can have your own opinions about this but somebody actually said that to me one time they think technology while it has provided us a lot when it comes to news technology has been the uh biggest downfall of mankind from the standpoint of it used to take you like seven to 14 days to get your newspaper for something that occurred Mm mm-hmm by the time you got the news, a situation has largely been clarified as far as what really happened or occurred at the time. Whereas today, think about like um, when you have breaking news. You, yeah. Like they are broadcasting an event that occurred before they really have any idea. Well, well you have a 24-hour news cycle, so you've yeah. got to fill that time with For something. For sure. So they're just finding anything to put out. Yeah, right. agreed. And, and it's just dangerous because they don't know what they're going to tell you and then – you know, tw- even 24 hours later, the truth comes out. You're just like, oh, that's nothing oh, like compared they'll to They'll never send you a push notification for, like, the truth coming out as well. Just what I've noticed. But, like, you'll get, like, Well, that's the boring part, right? Yeah. The truth, right? right? That's the boring part. Like, so. They'll give you a notification saying, hey, this happened. And then the next day, maybe it's cleared up. You never get that notification. Yeah, technology is great because, like, we can do this podcast and give oh, yeah. you guys a show. <laughs> but, like... I've heard that it's just we got all of the technology way too quickly. Like, because we, like, even when we were growing up, like, I didn't have internet for a while. Remember dial up? Yeah. And then we got dial up. And then, like, three years later, I could play online games with my friends. It's like, it's amazing how quickly everything advanced. So, yeah, we call it the fourth industrial revolution quite a bit. Yeah. That exponential technological growth is pretty insane. There's AI and robots. Dude, I just saw a video today and it was literally like an iRobot remake. (laughs) I was like, I I don't know if I want that. I was waiting for Will Smith to come. (laughs) I know, right? And we have, like, all these videos of us beating these robots with sticks and stuff. It's like, I don't know if that's going to work out too well. Yeah. Like, again, they'll they'll just have evidence. Like, oh, you didn't hit me with, or you didn't shoot me with a gun. <laughs> Who's this? <laughs> that makes you, what's that show um, that has, like, you know, all the episodes kind of stand alone and they're kind of trippy? Black, Black Mirror. Mirror. Black Mirror. Yeah, it makes me think of, like, uh, those contact, or, like, the chip or the contact yeah. lens they have. You can, you can just rewatch everything. Right, yeah. 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 The ep- one episode Good of that show. show that will always fuck me up is the episode where you can get, like, an AI version of a person. Yeah. And then they, ha- they can, like, use their social media posts to build a personality wow. of them. Oh, that episode fucked with me so bad. <laughs> I'll say the, that the episode show just in general. Oh, sorry. No, no, I just want to say this, especially because it's relevant right now with uh, that freak show Facebook owner, whatever his name is. 
doing the metaverse Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg. <laughs> whenever yeah. i hear people talk about the metaverse it definitely makes me think of that one episode uh it's a, it's a black actor who who's the main character in this episode but basically he, he has to they have to ride these bikes for like credits. currency yeah. or whatever well here's yeah. what really tri- most of the episode is just messed up in general but what really puts it over the top is when he can't close his eyes during the advertisements right or it'll pause and yell at him yeah like yep. that is not in my opinion far off from what it would be like yeah. if we get to this because oh, yeah. it's all about money it's all about what sells it's just tormenting and dude i hate that metaverse yeah. crap that, and, like and for context for the episode of black mirror the he's trying to close his eyes because it's an ad for a Porn, pornography site for a, girl, featuring, for a girl he loves yeah yeah so, yeah. so he, he can't look porn. away from something that's tormenting him it's yeah. it's mad it's it's really messed up but we are the products for social media yeah right? they, like feed on our time that's how they get money so yeah but anyways uh you can you guys can definitely tell that there's a lot of real world things even today that can relate back to something like this so that's why it's definitely stuck around but I hope you guys enjoyed that and hope you guys learned something because I know I definitely learned a lot of about just the event itself on mm-hmm. like the timelines and everything. So I think if we can run it back, we transport all those judges to modern day and drop them without their knowing into Harry Potter world in Orlando. Oh yeah. my! <laughs> oh, and in, in the middle of it too, where the there's an actual dragon. <laughs> And it breathes fire. And oh. then send them back and just see what happens. Yeah. Oh. oh, God. The entire country would be on fire. Yeah. <laughs> they would also poop their pants. <laughs> Worth it. Yeah. Well, we kind of plugged our social medias up at the top, so I guess we don't really need to do that again. But uh, Wait, which social medias? Evan, stop it. No. <laughs> uh, but anyways, I hope you guys all have a great week this week, and we will be back next week. I think Evan's in charge of picking the next one. So we'll see what we get with him because I know I get to bring all the conspiracy and like weird nonsense stuff. So. <laughs> I bring us back to reality. Oh, yes. there goes Rabbity. Oh, he goes. And we'll leave on that note. <laughs> Everyone have a great week. We love you all. And thank you guys all for listening to us this year. We really appreciate it.